Market with Jodell podcast. This is a mini episode that I like to air um, every now and then. I just like to me and you chatting about a topic. And today, that topic is the power of protein for fat loss, for optimal health, for good cell turnover. We're going to talk about all the different aspects of protein and why it's important, why it's imperative that you think about it if fat loss is your goal and metabolism increasing, and why it's underestimated that we actually take in enough. So I've got some data, I've got some resources for you in the show notes that you can check out all of the things I uh, talk about here so it's not just me talking. There's actual published studies behind the power of protein. So whether you're vegan, you're vegetarian, you're carnivore, you're omnivore, or somewhere in between, the main theme across any woe or way of eating, if you will, um, that or any diet protocol, they're going to agree on one fundamental thing. You have to have protein. Okay, in whatever form it is that you like to eat, you got to get your protein in. Optimal health starts with making sure that every cell of your body, and remember we're made of trillions of cells, has the essential building blocks that it needs in order to do the the required tasks of each individual cell. So why is protein so important? Okay, the macronutrient protein, which breaks down into amino acids, are crucial to our cells' growth and turnover. These amino acids are essentially the scaffolding, if you will, to the structure of our body. It's as if you don't take in enough protein, it's like you're building a house without framing it. Try to put up the walls, try to put up the siding, try to hang the windows. If you don't have any any framework done, then you're not going to have a really healthy body. And that's what these amino acids are. And we get critical, essential amino acids from protein. Now, Animal protein has amino acids, plant protein has amino acids. So again, it doesn't matter what your woe is, your way of eating, we have to get that protein in regardless. So we're going to be talking about what are some sources of protein that you're going to want to think about. But first, let's talk about the benefits of protein. And let's start with one of my favorite topics, which is the thyroid. A 2021 study out of Croatia touted higher protein foods and saturated fatty acids, I might add, not polyunsaturated, but saturated fatty acids along with protein were associated with a better functioning thyroid. Okay, so it's not that old mentality of you got to get all this good, you know, fake oils in and low fat dieting. You want good protein and you want good fats in order to get that thyroid optimal. All right, so another thing protein is beneficial for is neurotransmitters. If you have any kind of depressive symptoms, anxiety, tension daily, perhaps you're not making something like dopamine or keeping that serotonin in balance where we need it, which is our so-called feel-good neurotransmitter. It definitely can get out of balance really easily, so we want to keep it in check. And one way to do that is with protein, because a lot of our neurotransmitters are actually made in the gut when we digest protein and give the brain those amino acids to run with. Okay, so it's not just just about the brain, the gut plays into it too. And it's not just about the gut, the brain has to have these critical amino acids as well, in order to combat those symptoms of 
tension, anxiety, depressive symptoms, and so forth. Hormones are also benefited by protein. Okay, you take in protein, you're giving all of the resources, the raw materials to your body to make your sex hormones and make your testosterone and put on muscle because another benefit of eating protein is muscle synthesis. You're going to help with muscle regrowth, repair, and synthesis of new protein in your body. Essentially, you are what you eat. If you eat protein, you're going to have a good amount of protein on your body, meaning muscle, okay? So it's essential if you are any, any sort of exerciser or athlete or you lift weights, you're going to need adequate protein. And we'll get to in a minute why most people listening to this are not getting enough protein, okay? Next benefit is appetite control. If you feel ravenous a lot of the time, chances are your body is seeking protein and it's not getting it. So protein keeps hunger and cravings at bay. It's very slow digesting, meaning that it's going to take you a while to digest that meat or that plant protein or whatever it is that you're eating. And by doing so, you're not going to have a ravenous appetite. Whereas, you know, how hungry are you after you eat a bowl of cornflakes? 45 minutes later, you're starving. A banana, 45 minutes later, you're starving. A three egg omelet? probably not starving 45 minutes later. It's going to take it a lot more time to break down. Okay. Better bone density. Did you know that amino acids are actually helping to build protein in the bone? Bone is actually a protein binded with calcium. So our tissue that we create, bone is a tissue, just like muscle. So we can create new bone and lay down new bone with better protein intake. Okay, so these amino acids help with the turnover of new healthy bone cells, new improved sleep, right? Protein helps build serotonin, that neurotransmitter, which is the precursor to melatonin, our sleep hormone. So the more your neurotransmitters are balanced, the more you're going to make that critical sleep hormone. In addition to getting that dim light at night, your body's not going to release that melatonin that you've made if you're not getting your blue light blocking glasses on, dimming the house lights, turning off those devices, and so forth. So make sure that you're getting your protein in and you're getting your light right. Those two aspects could make or break your sleep. So it's really imperative that if you want to improve your sleep, you got to get your protein in. And it balances blood sugar throughout the day too. That's another benefit. If blood sugar is balanced, then your night is going to be a lot more restful. But more than that, we see a lot of people with insulin resistance, with diabetes. Okay. So this is an act of unbalanced blood sugar, but protein, since it's slow digesting, even if you're eating it with a carbohydrate, you're going to turn that carbohydrate into sugar a lot slower. Okay. So standard American diet, cereal, orange juice, toast in the morning, where's your protein? If you'll just add in a couple of eggs with that, or maybe negate some of the processed cereal out and add in some fruit, maybe a little glass of organic raw milk, then you might actually see the benefits of a longer sustained blood sugar response to where an hour later, you're not feeling lightheaded and sluggish and irritable and feeling these symptoms of low blood sugar, or conversely, falling asleep after after meals with high blood sugar. Okay, so protein helps to get that glucose to balance out in the body. And remember, our day determines our night. So if you're balancing that blood sugar in the day, you're going to have a lot less blood sugar crashes in the night that wake you up on high alert with your body going, I'm not okay. And I'm not going back to sleep until you give me something. Okay.
Increased development of lean muscle tissue. We talked about that as a benefit. Reduced late night snacking. Does that sound interesting? Maybe you won't snack as much if you start your day with protein. If I have somebody that I consider maybe leptin resistant, they're dealing with that hormone that's off that's causing satiety. See, leptin is our satisfied. I'm satisfied after a meal hormone. If I see that that's low in somebody based on some symptoms, I'm the first thing I'm going to do is go, when you get up in the morning, I want you to have a huge bolus of protein first thing. And what that's going to do is that's going to remind their body, I'm not starving. She's not fasting me. I'm not going to waste away. So it's it lowers that stress response, which then can reset that leptin level. It helps when you get that cortisol under control to help with leptin, okay? And when leptin is more balanced, not only are you gonna be more satisfied after meals, but you're gonna let go of some body fat, as well as you're not gonna be having the munchies late at night. Now, another thing that goes along with that is making sure that you're not getting a lot of blue light at night, because I've talked about in several of my podcasts how blue light has been shown in numerous studies to stimulate insulin and glucose after the sun goes down. So if you're getting the wrong light at night and you're wondering why you have a hankering for Ben and Jerry's, at nine o'clock at night, here's your sign, okay? You gotta get your light right and make sure and dim all those lights. If we didn't live in this technological advanced world and this modern lighting all around us, what would you do after the sun goes down? probably go to bed. You don't have these bright lights reminding you, hey, there is some ice cream in the fridge that I forgot about. You don't have your TV on blasting your face of why you need stuffed crust pizza late at night. Okay. So all of these things play into why we eat late, but protein first thing in the early part of the day can actually send that satiety signal. So you're not searching for stuff late at night. Okay. And chances are, if you're having those late night cravings, you probably can agree that you didn't eat enough protein that day. Now, the next thing is better skin, hair, and nails. Who doesn't want better skin, hair, and nails? Amino acids are the building blocks of these, okay? So protein is responsible for rebuilding our skin scaffolding called collagen, and it helps reduce the appearance of cellulite. Added benefit, you're going to get that cellulite to calm down, okay? We need to get the proper raw materials to build that scaffolding in the skin to hold the fat cells in so they're not bulging through like little bubbles that shouldn't be there. Okay, so getting that protein adequately in daily is going to slowly over time smooth out your skin. You're giving that that protein to the skin cells. You're giving the keratin growing aspects to your nails, the protein aspect to your hair. You're going to grow thicker, longer hair or fuller hair or whatever it is you're looking for if you're taking in enough protein. If you're not, we'll get to the protein deficient symptoms in a little bit. And one of them is hair loss. Okay. So those are just some of the benefits. I could go on and on, but again, I'm trying to make this a mini episode, so I got to watch my time. And while statistically we've been told that we're exceeding our daily consumption of protein in most countries, I don't hardly ever see that in my practice. And I work with people worldwide. I'm probably the only one I know that overdoes protein. Like I can honestly say I probably do more than I should because I'm like a protein junkie. So if I overconsume anything, it's wild deer meat that my husband kills and that I'm trying to do as a, as a new bow hunter because that's like my favorite food. So I probably overconsume that, but better to overconsume in my opinion than underconsume because your body will get rid of 
or have a little bit of gluconeogenesis to the, the aspect of too much protein versus not enough. And we're kind of slowly deteriorating over time. In fact, um, elderly people, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later, actually need probably the most enhancement with their protein content because we lose muscle as we age. So more importantly than anyone, they need this added protein to their daily intake to ensure that they don't waste away too quickly and lose all that strength and mobility. Now, uh, the recommendation by the Nutrition Therapy Association, who I'm certified through, is that approximately 15 to 30% of your calories should come from protein. Okay, and I would say that's being quite low on the list. If you're going to ask my professional opinion, I would want you upwards of that 30% mark because our body is actually 20% protein. We're about 50, 60% water, and the 20% of it is protein. The rest, there's not a lot left over after you factor in water and muscle. That stands to reason why we need to replace that. We're always losing it. You know, stress, life, just being human, we're losing that tissue and we have to rebuild it. So that's why protein is so essential. So what are some healthy ways to make sure you're consuming adequate protein throughout your day? There are two main ways of getting your protein in. So that's what we're going to talk about. The first choice, the top choice, right? This is the top choice foods that are going to ensure that you're getting enough protein. So I bet you can guess what I'm going to say being that I'm a carnivore with benefits is what I call it. I eat mostly meat. I center my meals around meat, but then I might add in a few things based on what I think my, my uh, body is kind of calling for. Okay. So First choice, animal protein. And I know if there's vegans or vegetarians listening out there, give me a chance. I'm going to get to you. But first, I'm talking animal protein. Why? Because in the gut, it's been touted that digestion of animal protein is 90%. Plant protein is only about 60 to 70% viable. Okay, so to get the most bang for your buck, if you can stomach animal protein or if it's not an ethical thing or if you're open to animal protein, such as pastured chicken, grass-fed meats, wild game, other forms of organic poultry. You know, you've got wild-caught seafood, you've got farm-fresh eggs. All of these things are great sources, first-class sources of protein and the most viable. Now, vegetarians, you are going to get some protein, but keep in mind, you're not going to get the full gamut uh, that you would with animal protein. However, I like to respect all walks of life. So vegetarians, if you're not quite vegan, you might include things like full fat dairy, such as cottage cheese, Greek yogurt, raw hard cheeses. The harder the cheese, generally you're going to have a little bit more protein in there than the softer cheeses. Um, if you do eggs, that's going to be a nice source of protein as well for vegetarians. Now, vegans, um, they want to be more about combining things like, of course, rice and beans. We know that's a complete protein, but there's other things that can help as well. So buckwheat, quinoa, did you know bee pollen is actually a good source of protein for vegans? Nutritional yeast, if you're not sensitive to it, it's not a yeast, by the way, it's actually just a powder that you can sprinkle on your food that tastes like cheese, or you can add to things and make it more protein rich. Okay, so that provides ample B12 as well as protein. Okay. And then nuts and seeds, 
they are a form of protein, but we want to be careful with these for a variety of reasons, which I could do a whole nother podcast on. But one of them being that they contain PUFA or polyunsaturated fatty acids, most of them do, which contribute to low thyroid function. So we don't want that. Now, I will say it's something like a macadamia nut, a maybe a sprouted raw pumpkin seed, they're going to have a lot less PUFA. And in fact, macadamia nuts are more of a monounsaturated nut. So maybe that would be a better choice if you are vegan. And then for any style of noshing, whether you're plant-based or animal-based, there are vegetables that contain small amounts of good protein, such as a cup of broccoli contains like four to five grams of protein in just a cup of broccoli. So you're going to do yourself a good service by having those alongside whatever main source of protein you're after. Now, the second choice, here's my second choice of proteins. If you struggle getting these other ones in, or you're one of these people that tell me, I don't have time to cook a grass-fed steak every time I eat, or I don't have time to cook a pot of rice and beans. Okay, so let's talk about protein powders. This would be a secondary choice to the absorbability of having real food. And obviously, if we're trying to eat earth-based, we know that protein powders are not (laughs) earth-based. They're going to be just as processed as having like some gluten-free crackers, okay? It's coming from an animal source or a plant source, but it takes a lot to make a powder out of a milk, okay? So protein powders should be um, secondary. As long as you can get those first choices in, get them. But otherwise, you want a good quality whey, if you're not vegan, we'll get to vegans in just a second, from cows without growth hormone or, you know, make sure it says grass-fed, I will say I have yet to find a grass finished way. If you know of one out there, I'm happy to start promoting it. But most of them can say grass fed as long as the cows eat grass at some point during the, the, the upbringing of them. Okay, so we have no way of controlling that. However, it does make it a better choice if it's an organic, you know, grass fed way that you're going after. It contains no artificial sweeteners or ingredients non-denatured, micro-filtered, cold-processed would be great, contains less than three grams of sugar per scoop, you know, all of that is good. Now, you have some secondary choices to that of a brown rice protein, an egg white protein, pretty bioavailable if you can do it raw, but if you're like cooking your egg whites and making an omelet, you're going to lose some of that. But I will say that egg white protein is very bioavailable. Um, Hemp protein for vegans and such. So for vegans, you're looking at your pea protein, your rice protein, your hemp protein, making sure that it's always non-GMO and organic, because again, some of these can be heavily laden with pesticides and see where the country of origin is. Is it China? You might not want to buy that brand. (laughs) Let's look at like rice protein from California, because we know it's going to have a lot less arsenic than something from, you know, Thailand or China. Okay, so, but what about sources of whey protein? Because there's so many out there. There's a whey concentrate, there's a whey isolate. Whey concentrate is the cheapest form. So here's how we're going to break it down. So whey concentrate, cool, do it if you want, but it is a only about 70 to 80% bioavailable and still contains some lactose, some sugar, and some fat. Okay. And then whey isolate, a better form, very affordable, generally tastes the best too. Um, It contains around 90% of it bioavailable protein. Okay. And the rest is water. So 
by the way, what is whey? <laughs> whey is the liquid that when you open the Greek yogurt, there's like a little liquid floating in there. That's your whey. So if you don't want to waste that, you could actually use that in a smoothie. Just dump it in and there's your whey protein. Okay. But what we're eating when we're having a whey protein powder is that liquid that's been made into a powder. Okay. Then finally, you have the whey hydro hydrosolate. It's a hard word to say, but it's easy to digest. Okay. Not quite as tasty and much more expensive. So I kind of veer towards the whey isolate just for affordability, as well as you can find some really great grass-fed sources out there. Now, then there's also milk protein isolate. Okay. And people aren't aware that this isn't the same thing as a whey protein. Milk protein isolate is actually the protein coming from the milk itself, whereas the whey protein is coming from, remember, remember that liquid I just talked about, it's coming from that liquid whey, all right? Um, so milk protein isolate, lower in calories, fat, lactose, and is made from the milk itself rather than just the whey that skimmed off, and it contains many of the beneficial amino acids and nutrients that whey doesn't have. Now, whey is going to have more of like the probiotics, the immunoglobulins and things like that, that milk doesn't get to have. Um, but as far as like bioavailability, still both really good. And for this brand, I use Iconic brand protein because it tastes amazing and it's affordable, okay? Because with this inflation that's going on, I'm trying to promote things that people can afford and that I myself use because it tastes good. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna use a chalky protein powder or one that tastes like the chalk dust that I use at the gym to do a squat, you know? <laughs> so that's what some of them taste like and I'm not about to do it. So there's your breakdown of the proteins. Now I will include the link to the Iconic brand down below with my promo code because why wouldn't you want to save 15% with inflation? So check that out in the show notes below. Now, protein bars, that shouldn't even be on the list of a viable protein. Rarely used, if ever. Emergency use only. Put it in your go bag for when the end of the world happens or a glove box material for when you're so low on blood sugar you can't see straight. Okay. But they're glorified candy bars. Okay. So if, if, if you're going to use them, I recommend no artificial ingredients, no soy, less than 10 grams of sugar, and real ingredients from words you can pronounce. If I'm going to have a protein bar, I use those epic bars that are meat. It's just meat packed into a bar. Okay. So pemmican or meat, those would be a protein bar that would be a healthy source. What if you don't digest protein well? We've talked about the variations of protein and what are good sources, but what if you're sitting there going, yeah, I like what you're saying, Jodel, but I'm not totally cool with meat because it sits like a brick in my stomach, or every time I eat it, I get acid reflux, or I can't stand the idea of it because I get constipated or I have gas and bloating or blah, 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 blah. The main premise behind any sort of issue with digesting protein, because we have these teeth, okay? They're carnivore little teeth. I get made fun of on YouTube because I, I'm like a, a vampire. I don't care. I have good meat ripping teeth, so I'm happy with them. <laughs> but we need those. That tells us that we're able to digest meat. What happens is when it goes down into the stomach and you don't have enough stomach acid, that's when you're going to have problems, okay? So it's not the fact that your body just can't do meat. It's actually the fact that your stomach just not, doesn't have enough stomach acid. And this is for a variety of reasons. If you've been under any amount of stress, and frankly, who hasn't, um, your stomach acid will go down. It's a non-essential in your body doesn't have to be there in order for you to survive. Same with saliva, same with tears, same with skin sebum, same with hair growth. All of this you will notice 
being uh, having problems with if you're low on stomach acid because your body breaks down protein in the stomach acid and helps with hair growth. It gets those amino acids that help with hair growth, with nail growth, with skin sebum production and all of that. Okay. So if you're seeing any of that, chances are you are having low stomach acid. Also, if you're burping after meals consistently, like you're just burping, 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 that's low stomach acid. And so we want to get that up so that you can eat meat and you don't have an aversion to meat. A lot of people will tell me, I like meat, but I became vegetarian or vegan because I can't digest it. Okay, the first thing I do is we got to work on your stomach acid. And there's a variety of ways to do that. But that's, again, in a whole nother podcast. But a good rule of thumb is to make sure that you're drinking warm beverages with your meals or not drinking at all would be nice instead of this ice cold water with your meals. Okay. That's going to dilute your stomach acid even further. And, you know, lemon can be really great at stimulating gastric juices. So there's just a few little tips about building up your stomach acid naturally. But once you get it up, you're going to eat meat and it's going to breeze right through you just beautifully. Okay. So that's why you're not digesting it and what you want to do about it. Now, let's say that you don't have stomach acid and you haven't been able to eat protein and now you're deficient. So what would be some signs to know that you are, okay? Your metabolism simply does not function. No matter how much you're trying to lose weight, it is not happening. Your body's not responding. Perhaps even you're cold all the time. You have trouble digesting. You're not sleeping well. That sounds like thyroid issues to me. And generally, thyroid issues can stem from a protein deficiency, okay? energy slumps, poor workouts. If you're not getting enough protein, see protein's not necessarily an energy food. Protein is a building food. It is sustaining you, okay? It's going to be for longevity. Your energy foods are fat and carbohydrates. If you're looking to get huge amounts of energy, then eat huge amounts of carbs. But remember, what you don't use, you store. Okay, that's why we have little energy stores all throughout our body, those little saddlebags, that's energy waiting to be used, your little tummy pooch, that's energy waiting to be used. So sometimes we're going to get into in just a little bit about how you can actually eat only protein as part of a healthy little fast and dip into some of your own energy stores. And that's pretty cool, if you ask me. So we'll get into that in a second. But if you have energy slumps, why would you think that protein deficiency would be part of that? Well, again, you're slowing down your thyroid. Thyroid gives you thyroid hormone T3, which provides energy to the cells of your body. Poor workouts because you're not keeping muscle mass. Maybe it's breaking down because you're not getting enough protein, so you don't have the strength to push like you used to. And maybe you're not putting on that muscle as you're trying to do lifting heavy in the gym. It's just not happening. Chances are you are protein deficient. You need to add more protein to your protocol. Low moods, depression, even suicide can result from being super protein deficient. And honestly, I see this in a lot of my addicts or people that are working on trying to reduce their alcohol consumption or drug abuse. The first thing I'm going to do is go every time you eat, what's your protein? Because that is going to start to build those neurotransmitters and give you amino acid therapy to the brain and to the gut so that the anxiety, the tension, the depression calms down and you can think like you used to think, okay? And so maybe there's nothing wrong with you that you're, you know, lazy or you're, you can't fight this craving for alcohol. Maybe it's biochemical and it really has to do with not making enough neurotransmitters. And maybe, just maybe it starts with more protein, okay? 
Okay, so we talked about muscle and bone loss. If you're seeing that happening, then chances are you're protein deficient. Hair loss, if you're seeing that happening, you're protein deficient. Slow wound healing, if you're seeing that happening, you're protein deficient. Brittle hair, hair and nails, maybe they're breaking and your hair is breaking off, but maybe it's not falling out, but it's breaking off. That's no, not enough protein, okay? Weird hunger cravings, okay? Maybe you're just having hunger cravings all the time, your appetite's out of control, this could be from low protein because protein is slowing down that appetite. Whereas when you're not getting enough, your appetite's going to increase. Your body's going to look for that protein, whether you realize it or not. Did you know edema and swelling specifically of the legs and the ankles can be a protein deficiency? Because when you're under high amounts of stress, cortisol is really high and cortisol is a stress hormone and it kind of holds on to water. So it's going to hold on to water in your body due to a stress response and cause edema and swelling, okay? And typically, if you're very low protein, that's a stress response to your body. And then frequent upper, upper respiratory sickness and lowered immunity, that is a protein deficiency. We need that protein to build up immune cells. Remember, we are trillions of cells. We're not just skin cells. We're not just eyeball cells. We have cells that make up our immune system, your T helper cells, your natural killer cells. All of those need amino acids. So if you're not bringing it in, your little army is deteriorating and they can't fight for you. So we need to bring in protein every day in the most adequate way possible. And then if you are having insomnia or sleep issues, that also could be a protein deficiency. It could be a variety of things. Like I said, the blue light exposure before bed is usually a big culprit or sleeping with a cell phone right here, probably not going to help you with sleep. Um, but you could try adding more protein and see how that affects you. So a sample day, what would a sample day look like if you were adequate? Because what's the standard diet? Like I said, you're going to get cereal and toast for breakfast. You're going to have a sandwich for lunch, maybe a little meat on there, maybe pizza or pasta for dinner. Average, if I'm thinking about that, is looks like maybe 40 grams of protein a day for somebody, super low. Like only my seven-year-old should be eating that much protein a day. So we really have to do a due diligence of saying, first and foremost, what's my protein every time I sit down? So a breakfast could look like two to three eggs scrambled in butter with, um, if you like veggies, you could put that in there or just leave them plain. You could have some nitrate-free bacon or some good organic sausage next to that. And maybe some organic strawberries, or maybe you want to have a cup of OJ next to your eggs. All right, cool. For vegan sources, maybe you're going to do a hemp protein shake with full fat coconut milk and a handful of strawberries. See hemp protein, some of those protein scoops could have 20 to 25 grams. And really that's the bare minimum of what I want to see somebody get at a meal is about 20 to 25 grams. The bigger person you are, the more protein you need. We're going to get to actual like ways to um, make sure you're getting enough in just a little bit. Lunch, maybe you're going to do a, you're vegetarian, you're going to do a Greek yogurt parfait with some berries, some honey, chop up a piece of dark chocolate in it or maybe you're just going to have some more meat and maybe some fruit or some honey on the side I like to do that sometimes maybe on the go you're on the go you don't have to go fast food you can get into a grocery store and grab the rotisserie chicken grab some hard-boiled eggs grab some nitrate-free deli meat some cottage cheese toss some berries in there it's much more fast I think to walk into a grocery store and just hit that produce section with all the little grab-and-go proteins than to sit in line at Chick-fil-A for 16 hours, okay? Then you have your snack in the afternoon because you got to keep that blood sugar balanced. So maybe you're doing like a grass-fed nitrate 
gluten-free beef stick, um, or maybe you're vegan, you're going to have a handful of macadamia nuts and some sugar snap peas or something like that. Okay. Dinner, palm-sized portion of your meat, palm-sized baked sweet potato with butter, or maybe you're just going to have some roasted broccoli with some shaved Parmesan on that. Or for vegans, you're going to do like rice and beans. You know, maybe some of your broccoli is going to be topped with nutritional yeast to get more protein in, right? So that's what a typical day could look like to get adequate protein in. Now, let's talk about protein and fat loss really quick. See, here's a little equation I want you to remember. What's a donut? A donut is carbs and fat, okay? And that's going to be a lot of energy for your body and probably more than your body needs at that moment. So it's going to store a lot of that as energy, which is why you're never going to get lean eating donuts, okay? Then you have fats and proteins. There's kind of like your keto diet, right? Cool. You can see a lot of fat loss. A lot of energy from the fat in that, not necessarily the protein, because protein is more sustaining, but the fats are going to, you know, be utilized more for energy as you become fat adapted and so forth. And if that's your thing, cool. All right. That works a lot better when it comes to fat loss than carbs and fats. Okay. That donut, remember, is fat gain and energy loss. Okay. You're, you're just going to be storing energy and it's going to get lost in your body and not used because you're providing it too much energy. Then your carbs and proteins can be a little more balanced, okay? There's your fat loss and your energy at the same time. We got a little bit of energy coming in from earth-based carbohydrates, but then we've got that sustainable metabolic heating aspect, which we're going to go into, three primary ways that we're going to burn fat with protein, um, having that protein and carb mixed together, balancing out blood sugar. It's a beautiful thing because insulin can create too much fat storage. So if we balance it out with a protein, we're just going to get a little trickle of insulin that keeps us going and isn't too much. So like I mentioned, three primary ways and one secondary way to burn fat with protein. Number one, protein builds muscle, which helps to increase metabolic rate and your body's ability to burn stored body fat for energy rather than burning up muscle. Okay, so taking in protein, you're telling your body, I have all the raw materials here for you to sustain muscle, but I'm not taking in a ton of extra things hopefully, alongside it that requires me to use up that energy, I can actually dip into my fat stores for energy. Cool. Okay. Then you have number two, the thermic effect of food, meaning the more energy it's used to digest and process protein, the more you burn calories throughout the course of your day. Protein is hot. It's heating in your body, I should say. It's got this thermic effect on your body. So the more you eat it, the more it it calls on calories that are required to digest it. So the thermic effect also speeds the thyroid every time you eat it from between 10 and 30%. It's like a little like, what do you do when you press on the gas and you like rev up your engine? You know, like that's, that's the effect of protein every time you take it. It's kind of like revving up your thermic engine there or your metabolic engine. And then number three is satiety. Okay. So adherence to any protocol, any sort of eating plan is a lot easier with protein because you're going to be satisfied. You're not going to get to the end of your cornflake diet and go, oh my gosh, I'm still so hungry because I'm only eating cornflakes. Okay. So eating protein is more satisfying and satiating, if you will, and results in eating less throughout the course of the day, making a calorie deficit when you're, you know, maybe you're in bodybuilding mode and you got to get that deficit in. Why do you think bodybuilders eat so much protein? It keeps them satisfied so that they can get into their calorie deficit because, you know, it's not rocket science. We don't have to talk about calories in, calories out, but 
long story short, if you do want to see fat loss, you have to have some sort of a calorie deficit, which leads me to my next topic, which is my favorite form of fasting. And one of my favorite ways to lose fast, if I feel like the fluff's coming on here and there. Um, and it's essentially about eating only protein. You're actually fasting from the other two macronutrients, meaning you're fasting from carbs, you're fasting from fat, and you're just getting protein. Okay. And are you going to do this for six weeks? Probably not, but some people do. I would say more in terms of if someone's obese or morbidly obese, this would be a good six-week protocol. And in fact, it's been researched by two doctors from Harvard, Dr. George Blackburn and Bruce Bistrian. Um, way back in the 70s, they decided they, were, they needed a way to protect lean muscle while someone was sick in the hospital bed. Bedridden patients can suffer from muscle atrophy and wasting and usually do not get proper nutrition. So they did infusions of amino acids, and eventually they together ended up working with a number of patients, creating a huge success called a protein-sparing modified fast and lost an average of 40 to 50 pounds without struggling um, with these patients without hunger, and they were found to be more adherative to this protocol than water fasting. Duh. Like, <laughs> you could eat protein instead of just drink water all day. Protein is so satisfying. So I highly recommend this form of fasting when it comes to keeping it easy. Like we want to fast, but the majority of us are stressed out, high cortisol, high adrenaline. And the last thing you want to do is do a water fast when you're high stress. Most of us are working out a lot or exercising to the point of if you were to water fast, you wouldn't have the energy to lift. With the protein sparing, you can still lift. You're still getting protein, which allows you to keep muscle on and not break it down. And because we're fasting from the energy nutrients, the energy macros, fats and carbs, your body goes, hey, I need some energy here. Wait, I have energy on the back of my arms, on the back of my thighs, that little little divot right under your butt cheek that is like a little shelf that you want to get rid of. Your body's going to dip into that when you're doing protein sparing. So a very, what is protein sparing, by the way, other than you're eating protein? It's a very low lean protein. You're eating low calorie lean protein amounts varying depending on specific circumstances, which is why you want to work with a nutritionist or a health practitioner when you do this. Um, and only little tiny traces of fat will, and carbs will come in depending on your lean protein sources, such as let's say you're having a chicken breast, there's probably going to be a gram or two of fat in there. So you're going to get that. But other than that, you're not adding fat. You're not eating anything that is a high fat food. And same with carbs. You're not adding carb rich foods. What little carbs are coming in is maybe there's going to be like one naturally occurring carb in your, in your, you know, steak that you're eating or whatever. Um, so more or less unlimited amounts of no calorie vegetables. So you can have a little bit of like, let's say you're going to have a raw salad with it, which I don't usually recommend raw foods. You might want to cook your no calorie veggies, like some steamed broccoli or something while you're having it. Um, and some basic supplements, nothing else. Okay. So if you want to supplement with what's called BCAAs, branch chain amino acids, these are three essential amino acids that can replace sources of protein if you don't have access to them. So let's say you're in between jobs, you don't have time to grab a chicken breast on your PSMF day, your protein sparing modified fast day. So you could down uh, some water and some BCAAs and keep those amino acids coming in. Because even just four hours without protein, your body could start to break down your own muscle into what's called gluconeogenesis. 
gluco is sugar, neo meaning new, genesis is creation. So you're essentially, your body goes, um, I don't have any protein, so I'm going to take from your butt and your thighs, which are your largest muscle groups first, and I'm going to turn that into a donut. Okay, so it actually can make sugar from your own body, which you don't want to do. So if you're adequately taking in protein during this fast, every three to four hours, then chances are you're not going to break down any muscle. And in fact, you're going to increase that metabolic energy. Even your basal metabolic rate can increase with this. Okay, so on average, it's recommended with a PSMF sort of fast that you're doing about 600 to 800 calories. Now, if I have somebody that's going to tell me I'm still going to work out, I'm still going to do all my normal activities, I'm going to bump that up. Okay. And I'm also going to say eat to satisfaction. You know, if you get done with 600 calories, and you're like, no, mm -mm, this is the end of the day, and I'm starving, then eat more protein, because it's not meant to starve you out. That's a stress response. Any sort of fasting where you're starving, and you're stressed out, kind of defeats the purpose of detoxing, because when your cortisol and your adrenaline goes up, that's a recipe for toxicity, okay? We want to keep your body calm, and protein is very calming, okay? So don't hesitate to eat to your needs, but work with a practitioner so you know what you're doing, too. All right, and what's more is this approach was shown by Dr. Blackburn to be conducive in lowering insulin and the need for insulin in diabetics. So it actually got people off of their insulin in addition to lowering their blood glucose and balancing out their their um, sugars overall. So that's kind of cool. That's the added benefit. Now, the bottom line is with an approach like this is it works over um, a short term and a long term. You can do a long term protein sparing, but it's very difficult and socially not going to be very fun because you're only eating lean protein. But it also could be a stressor to the wrong individual. So I recommend doing maybe one to two days per week of a protein sparing modified fast, eating normal calories throughout your day or throughout your week, but having one to two days a week where you say, okay, this is my PSMF day. I'm going to do a little protein fast where I'm only eating protein for this day. Okay. So, um, it's an extremely effective approach for fat loss and one of my personal favorites. And these days, um, it's best to implement our, the times you want to implement a protein spring fast is more sedentary days. I mean, you can still work out if you feel the energy, but if you don't, maybe it's when you're not doing too much, you know, you got a big day sitting behind a computer or you're just kind of tootling around the house. That might be a day to do more of the protein sparing versus the day where you're going on a 17 mile hike or something. <laughs> okay. So what's a sample PSMF day look like compared to, you know, we talked about a normal protein eating day. You're actually going to probably consume more protein than you would on a normal eating day because you have to keep your calorie intake up. So keep that in mind that your protein options are probably going to be bigger. In fact, when I do kind of a PSMF, I make a, like a whole pound of deer meat and I might eat that breakfast and lunch and I might eat a whole nother half a pound at dinner or even more if I've had a workout day where I was pretty active. Okay. So I need to keep that intake up. Now um, you could start the day with a, a white omelet because again, we have to be lean. We can't add in the yolks. I know they're good, but you got to get the lean protein. You got to fast from the fat. So an egg white omelet, don't be stingy. I'm not talking two or three egg whites here. I'm talking like six to eight egg whites. You're making a really big omelet. Okay. Chicken breast at lunch, maybe, or six or eight ounces of lean fish. Maybe you're doing a protein shake. You could do some vanilla protein powder. That's very you know, dim on the carbohydrates. That's why I like the uh, Iconic brand. It's a really good form to fast with, with your protein sparing. And then dinner could be like a lean cut of steak, 
fish, crab legs, shrimp to your heart's content, you know, all of those could be good. No carbs, but you can have negligible carbs, such as like sometimes I'll chop up a head of cilantro and I'll put my protein over that when I'm doing protein sparing or maybe some celery with your meal that you're just going to munch on or something like that. Fat that is coming in is only occurring in the meat naturally and generally it's not going to add up to more than 30 grams a day and you want to stay as far away from that as possible so then protein shakes can help and also those bcaas the branch chain amino acids which are literally just a powdered amino acid supplement that you put in water and you could also take capsules of those but i like the taste of drinking them as well so while a PSMF diet doesn't forego food entirely, it's essentially a type of muscle sparing fasting, which will keep you in fat burning mode and prevent you from slowing down your thyroid, prevent you from a severe calorie deficit, which puts you in fight or flight and stress and lowers your BMR, which we don't want. So um, that's the protein sparing. So if you want more help with that, reach out to me. I'm happy to send you my protocol and work with you. We can set up a consult and really get your own style of protein eating dialed in. Now, how are you going to calculate your normal daily needs? That's the next question. How much protein should I be consuming? I get that all the time. Well, just for cliff notes here, a good rule of thumb is half your body weight in grams of protein. There. Now we can end the podcast. Everybody's happy, right? Well, we can go a little deeper too if you're not satisfied with that answer because studies have actually showed that you can do an intake based on the studies for general health, body composition, and improve improved blood pressure even with 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. And I know you're scratching your head here going, I don't know how much I weigh in kilograms. I'm from the US. Or maybe you know how much you weigh in kilograms because you're from Europe, which is much smarter if you ask me. But anyway, let me tell you how to figure that out. So you take your pounds and divide them by 2.2. That will give you your kilograms. Okay. So for instance, if somebody's 140 pounds, their kilograms are 63. Okay, 63 kilograms. So then you're going to take that and times it by 1.2. And that's going to give you roughly, I think it's like 75 grams of carbohydrates. That would be a good beneficial way to start the bare minimum of body composition and overall health. Okay. And in fact, I'm usually not going to recommend less than 75 grams for anybody unless we're dealing with somebody with stage five chronic kidney disease. Okay. And even that I'll get to in a second. And then for athletes, study shows that protein intakes in the range of 1.3 to 1.8, and I've even seen as high as 2.2 uh, grams per kilogram can be consumed. Okay, so that could look upwards of you're talking 110, 120 grams for somebody who's 140 pounds, right? Pretty cool. So you can actually go, you know, up to that level and see a lot of good lean mass, a good muscle mass put on. And that's what we really want when we're talking body composition and fat loss. Okay. And who needs more? Like there's certain populations of people that need more protein. Well, anybody who's on the standard American diet, if you're listening and you haven't yet shifted to like, you know, whatever, all these different protocols that are out there and you're just eating like whatever is available fast food wise or processed or what you grew up on in the 80s, because Lord knows we we're all on the standard American diet in the 80s. They're going to need more protein. Okay. So if, if that's you aim to start saying first thing in the morning, what's my protein first and foremost at lunch? What's my protein at dinner? What's my protein? And then factor in your energy 
um, macronutrients after that, but get that sustaining protein in first. Elderly, like I mentioned, they're going to need more because as you age, you lose muscle. Sarcopenia is muscle wasting and it happens every generation or every um, decade we get older, we lose more and more muscle. Children, they're going to need more protein. Now help them, teach them about protein so that they can pick their own options and let them lead themselves into knowing what their body needs. Kids are so intuitive. They know when they're full. They know when they need to eat. They don't, they know when they don't need to eat. So don't push them with food. Don't say you have to clean all your plate. No, maybe they're just not into that right now. They know that they're, they don't need that many calories. They'll eat when they're hungry, but teach them about protein and let them make their own informed decisions. It's really neat to empower a kid with the, the trust you have in them of going, okay, here's what a protein is. So whenever you're hungry, maybe choose this first and here's what it's going to do to your body. Teach them, teach them how it helps them build muscle. Tell them about their favorite superhero and how they eat protein and they're going to look like that or they're going to be as strong as that whenever they eat protein, okay, or their favorite person in the world. Have them talk to that person about how much protein they eat, okay, or what their favorite protein sources are. And then um, nursing mothers, you got to get your protein in. You're, you're feeding protein for two people, so make sure you're getting adequate protein and talk to your doctor about sources of ways to do that. And then people with, so chronic kidney disease, I get this question like, oh, I have kidney issues, I shouldn't eat protein. Actually, studies show that a little more protein than what's called for can actually be beneficial. And there are studies that say 15% of your calories can come from protein. Well, if you did the math on that, depending on your size and weight, you're roughly going to come up with 50 to 75 grams of protein for an average individual, which that's good. Like that's, we're not going too low with that. So I think it's, it's a misnomer when people think I shouldn't have any protein. You should have protein. You just have to monitor what's coming in along with it because it's generally the processed foods, the gluten, the sugar, and like the processed sugar, not natural sugars that are causing the inflammation in the kidneys. Okay. And not properly hydrating with mineral rich water. Okay. So Crossing all those T's and dotting all those I's, you'll probably find that more protein will help rebuild the kidneys, like turn over new healthy kidney cells, okay? And I'll post a study down below about that. Now, finally, let's talk about, since this really hasn't been a mini episode, <laughs> let's talk about ways to increase your protein. And I'm going to give you a few tips here just to help with that, because this is another question I guess. I know I need to eat more protein, but how do I do it? Okay, number one, stepping up the portions you're already having. Let's say you're having an egg for breakfast. One egg is six grams of protein. Okay, so think about, could I do like three eggs? And then could I put a little um, collagen in my oatmeal next to my eggs? Cool. All right. How about I'm having coffee in the morning. Could I blend vanilla protein powder with my coffee and make it like a protein latte? Cool. Okay. So you just added more protein to just a simple cup of coffee. Now, what about number two, adding in protein snacks? Maybe you're just getting two to three meals a day and maybe you're having these blood sugar highs and lows and you could add in some things like hard boiled eggs and cottage cheese or a thing of Greek yogurt or some leftover, you know, shredded beef that you cooked up and you're just going to have little snacks throughout the day of high protein. Or you're going to make a protein smoothie or you're going to have a glass of milk, a nice glass of raw goat milk or something as a snack because it's got some protein in there. Just where can you add some snacks in? Maybe that you're still giving time to digest that meal, you know, three to four hours later, have a snack in between, you know, think about lunch and dinner. Most people eat lunch at noon. They don't eat dinner till six or seven. Plenty of time in there for them to get a little snack in so that they're not 
ravished when they get home and like clearing out the pantry looking for something a nice little protein snack in there will get you home and you'll be just fine to cook dinner and have a nice sensible dinner okay and then number three is those bcaas if you can't find any other way to get in protein then start to get a good quality branch chain amino acid supplement and add it to your water and sip on that throughout the day i really like these around a workout too to make sure that you're not breaking down too much muscle while you're working out okay and replenishing that muscle as soon as you're done you're never going to hear me say at the end of a workout class go home and eat lots of carbs and lots of fat okay you're going to hear me say drink water and eat protein because you just did a bunch of damage to your muscles and we got to provide those raw materials that your body needs to build it back up okay and then adding protein to your veggies um, and high protein veggies to your meat. Okay, so always make sure that you're doing something like, you know, I mentioned that nutritional yeast, sprinkle that over your broccoli and give your broccoli a little boost. Or how about adding high protein veggies, such as that cup of broccoli I mentioned next to your meat. So your meat's like 30 grams of protein and you have two cups of broccoli steamed. Okay, there you go with a little butter on top or some more shaved Parmesan for a little added protein. You've got another 10 grams of protein there waiting for you. So really nice to add up and get a little boost to, to increasing that protein throughout the day. And finally, using a protein powder into even carb-rich foods. Like I mentioned, add a scoop of vanilla protein powder to your oatmeal you know even if you're having oh why are you having cereal but if you're having cereal maybe instead of milk and maybe you're going to add you're going to blend up the milk with some vanilla protein powder and use that as your milk source in your cereal i'm trying to find the lesser evils here um, but a good rule of thumb is keep a good protein powder on hand when you just don't have time you can make a smoothie you can add it to carb rich foods you can even make like a little rice pudding add some vanilla protein powder and some cinnamon to rice and make like a little rice pudding to where you're, you're getting that protein along with your carbohydrate. So bottom line, eating protein is essential to you and your trillions of cells. And if your optimal health and feeling great is a priority for the long haul of life, then power up your potential and performance with protein. Say that five times fast. Finally, one last note I will mention is we didn't get to talk about too much protein and what that does or the effects of the wrong kinds of protein. And I have a really awesome brother that has a podcast as well. And I wanted to mention him and give a little shout out that I will have a link down in the show notes for you to check out his podcast where he goes into detail about avoiding the danger, the pitfalls of too much protein or the wrong kinds of protein or doing protein incorrectly. Okay, so you're going to want to listen to him on that one because after all, he's my brother. So I got to I got to give him a shout out. Thank you guys for listening and um, reach out with any questions, comments or posts. And please share this with somebody who needs to eat more protein so that they will. Okay, bye for now. Well, if you've listened to me at all, you'll know that I preach protein and protein is the building blocks of every healthy cell in our body. And you need protein throughout the day to sustain really good, healthy cell turnover. And I get asked a lot, what about if I don't have time for protein? I can't really get in a meat source. It's okay. I love a good whey protein. And my favorite recently has been this grass-fed whey from Iconic Protein. I love their ingredients. I love that they use a monk fruit. It's simple ingredients. There's literally four ingredients in this protein powder. And it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. There's a lot of grass-fed protein powders out there that are like, 
like boutique-y and they're all about, you know, 50, 60, $70. No, this guy's gonna run you less than $30. And with my discount code, you're gonna get 15% off. So check out Iconic Protein. They also have, for those of you really on the go and you don't have time for anything, even blending up a protein drink, um, you can get their Immunity Coffee. Now, you know I love my coffee. And this iconic drink is made with MCT oil and all natural ingredients and it actually has a few vitamins and minerals that help with immunity. So this is something I'm going to grab, I'm going to add it to my coffee, maybe I'm going to drink it on its own. It's a really nice way to grab and go. So for those of you that say, I don't have time for protein, now you do. Check out Iconic Protein and their immunity coffee as well as their different flavors of protein powder. And use my code JODELL, J-O-D-E-L-L-E, to save 15% off your Iconic Protein purchase. Light bulb moment. I have an idea for you. How about getting an anti-blue light light bulb? That's right, you could put these in your house at night and they would not allow any blue light after the sun goes down. I have these in my lamps and I really love them because it's like this amber glow at night that's not offensive to my melatonin at all. Now you may um, know that I'm kind of a blue light blocking glass junkie. In fact, when I'm not wearing this pair, I'm wearing this pair. Yes, and when I'm not wearing this pair, I might put on this pair. <laughs> and in case I don't wanna wear my contacts, I actually have my prescription pair. Check that out, you can kind of see that it's different than the other lenses. This one's actually gonna have my big thick Coke bottle glass prescription in there so that I can wear these and not have to have my contacts in at night. So yeah, I'm kind of a blue light blocking junkie, but what I'll say is that my sleep has never been better and it's as simple as putting on a pair of glasses or using a light bulb that blocks out the blue light at night or perhaps you want a little night light for your kids because here's the thing, blue light night lights actually cause myopia in children. That's right, they can become nearsighted if they're exposed to blue light after dark. So getting one of these anti-blue light night lights for the kids or for yourself, stick it in the bathroom, stick it in the kitchen for those late night munchies, which you shouldn't have if you're blocking blue light. That's right, blue light actually stimulates your cravings after dark. So by wearing these glasses, not only will you sleep better, but you may not get those late night munchies that are so prevalent. So Fit for 10, that'll save you 10% off either your favorite pair of glasses or the really cool light bulbs and night lights. Hey guys, are you in the Midwest? Are you in the East Coast? Are you in Brazil? Are you in Asia? It doesn't matter where you are. I would love to work with you as your nutritionist. And so just to let you know, I offer nutrition consulting worldwide. You can work with me anywhere. I have clients all over the world and I love to spend time over the internet with each one of them figuring out their specific needs. So your specific needs, what deficiencies are you having? What symptoms are you dealing with daily that we can address for you? So that's what I, as a nutrition detective, like to get to the bottom of. I ask you a ton of questions. We meet over Zoom or over FaceTime, whatever is convenient for you. And we discuss all of your specific needs. If you would like to work with me, just shoot me an email, getfitwithjodell at gmail.com. That's getfit. G-E-T-F-I-T-W-I-T-H-J-O-D-E-L-L-E -L -L -E at gmail.com. 
and let's set up a 15 minute free call for you just to see if I'm a good fit for you as a nutrition therapy practitioner. Again, email me getfitwithjodell at gmail.com and let's get you set up feeling better, lose that unwanted weight that you have going on, lose those symptoms that you have hanging around and optimize your health as best we can.